Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast, brought to you by Racetech. Racetech gold valves, revalve in a box. You guys already know what you hear. We talk about it every single episode. What you haven't probably done is call those guys up, mention Big MX Radio, you're going to save yourself some money. Same thing goes for Luxon MX. Luxon MX is not just another triple clamp company. They are engineers driven to outdo the set the status quo they are innovating things every single time they come out with new products they have their brand new gen 3 triple clamp that actually has adjustable offset triple clamps so you can either switch between a 23 or a 22 offset triple clamp at a moment's notice break out some t-handles and you are set ready to go adjust your comfortability with our friends over at luxon mx you can save yourself 10 percent by entering big mx radio at checkout also want to give a huge shout out to John Anderson over at W Wheels. You guys call them up. Mention Big MX Radio. You're going to save yourself some money on a next level set of wheels. Let's be honest. Your your wheels on your bike are looking a little bit egg-shaped. Change that up. And uh, we're, we're going to be, uh, not only your bike can be looking a little bit better, but it's going to be running better and a little bit smoother and not be wobbling in the air like my bike does on a regular basis. Um, and yeah, go ahead and do that. Uh, Big MX Radio. Catch the fever. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With me on the line, uh, a guy who I've had on, I believe this is his third time, it's been, that's a Canadian hat trick of podcasts, uh, we're having him on uh, every second national, he helped us break down uh, the series as we rolled into them, we talked to him after the Hangtown round, and now again, having him on the show, he is uh, a international recording superstar and uh, writ- writer and performer of the song Out at the Ranch. None other than Zach Heron. Zach, welcome back to the Big MX Radio Podcast. What's up, buddy? Thank you for having me back. Uh, how are you doing? Not too bad. Zach Heron, brought to you by Guts Racing. Big MX 20 saves you 20% at Guts Racing. I'm doing well, my friend. I'm looking forward to doing some, getting some throttle therapy this weekend. But they, my, the Big MX Radio listeners listen to me talk about my throttle therapy all the time. I heard a little a bird, little bird told me that you have yourself a brand new 2023 uh kx 450 in the garage tell me about it yeah i figured it was about time i I have been riding my 2015 bike that i I took out the loretta's back when i was a a c-class hero so uh i'm talking yeah i'm talking old school kicking it like like men do and now i've I've joined the the generation of disappointments going to an electric start no i'm totally kidding with that I, i am super excited um it's actually i think the I think a two generation difference i think 2016 to like 19 was a model um and then they switched to the the modern version 19 to 23 um and then yeah well basically when the 24s came out uh, another new model for kawasaki there with some different uh some different setups and, and styles so uh, i knew it was a good time to, to grab a bike and, and got a good deal on it so um we looked at a bunch of them man i, I know I had uh, I had some people over at Yamaha giving me grief. I, I had a couple of buddies on KTM's that were were talking some smack. But uh, just as big as I am, I'm you know anywhere from six two to six four, depending on what doctor I go to. Um, and the Cowie just kind of fits my frame a little bit better, lowering those foot pegs. And uh, yeah, I heard the I heard the guts racing seat cover there. I, I may have to get me a new seat cover. I usually run a little bit of a tall seat as well, so. Uh, but no, man, I'm 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 very picky about it. I won't let the thing even touch dirt. I haven't cranked it up yet. Um, uh, we got to get it. We got to get it set up and and put the Heron tune on it, the Heron Dean tune on it. If you know what I mean, uh, before we let it take the track. But no, I'm very excited to have a new bike and uh, one less excuse as to why I'm going so slow. 
Fair enough. Hey, you got to look pro, go slow, bro. And good to hear that you got a brand new ditch pickle in the garage waiting for her to take her maiden voyage out onto one of your local tracks. Um, what's your favorite track out by where you're at? You're in uh, you're in South Carolina, North Carolina? I'm in North Carolina, uh, right okay. about halfway between Charlotte and Raleigh, which is kind of the two big cities in this state. Um, yeah, but man, we're so fortunate. Yeah, we're so fortunate here in North Carolina. We've got so many different great tracks. Um, if I am... If I'm somebody that's like I am right now, where I'm just kind of getting back into riding, I think the last time I rode was a couple months ago, and it was woods riding, um, I'm probably going to go to North Carolina Motorsports Park. I think a lot of people would give you that answer as far as their favorite track. Um, But, man, if I'm in tip-top race shape, um, honestly, I think it is a track worthy of of a Loretta's qualifier, if not even a pro national. But it's right here, about 20 minutes from me. Uh, It's called Silver Valley, and every year they have a big pro shootout. Uh, we've had Jacob Hayes, Justin Bellrod, um, Joey Crown, Luke Meese. All these guys have come out, and, and every single one of them are like, this track is so much fun. Um, so, yeah, that's probably if you are a, a skilled rider and, and want to go and really have a good time like a, on a national caliber track, I'd say Silver Valley here in Lexington. Fair enough. Well, that's going to have to be on my bucket list of tracks to go to. Uh, I'll dust off the KX252 stroke. You can, of course, uh, enjoy the uh, the smooth power delivery of your four-stroke. We'll do a fast lap challenge, and then we're going to swap bikes and see who, who really has the skills um, and, uh, and, and put ourselves to the test. I feel like YouTube would probably break when we do that. Let's put it on the calendar. So, Let's do it. We're six minutes into this podcast. Those who are, are looking at the title are probably wondering when we're going to start talking about the uh, the AMA Pro Motocross National Series. Uh, and uh, maybe let's kick that straight off right now. We're doing this every two rounds as, like, the storylines, they don't always sort of, like, fully develop as we roll through this. And sometimes we can get some introspection and overreaction to some of uh, the results. But you know what? So far this year, it's been... Kind of rinse, lather, repeat for almost every national so far. We haven't had a different winner in any of the four nationals that we've been to. And in the 450 class, it's been Jet Lawrence every single time at the checkered flag. Although this weekend, uh, in particular, although there was just as many ruts at High Point as there was at Colorado, both tracks were very treacherous. But this weekend, we had the German. He inserted himself and asserted himself by leading 16 laps this weekend. Uh, great starts both times. And uh, yeah, gotta love that. From uh, from Kenny, Kickstart Kenny was in the building. Um, I had a podcast yesterday with Travis Souls. They basically threw that together last minute, and uh, it's amazing that someone with very little prep can uh, basically shove it up the ass of uh, all of the other factory guys, aside from Jet. What does that say? Does that say more about Kenny, or does that say, or is that more of a diss on the guys who couldn't beat him? Kickstart Kenny comes and kicks some ass. Uh, No, man, I think. I honestly, I think anybody that says they're surprised to see Ken Roxon do that doesn't know who Ken Roxon is. Um, and we've heard it time and time again, especially when it comes to Kenny. Man, if he's feeling good, if he seems like he's in a good mood, maybe he's talking a little, talking a little talk on social media. That's a very dangerous Ken Roxon. And for some reason, like it just seems like the guy had an itch to go ride his motorcycle. He wanted to go race outdoors. And, and um, yeah, it sounds like based off your discussion on that podcast, it was pretty much like, hey, let's. Let's just go and do this. Let's throw it together. Like Sunday during and, uh, the moto text, I swear to God. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where a, and any any mortal human looks at that and is like, 
yeah, you don't just go from from not doing, not riding motos, not prepping to to casting somebody that up until that moment looked damn near unhuman. I, I mean, that's what we were saying before we started this podcast. That's the first time we've seen Jet Lawrence get past this year. I'm not even. I, I, I mean, nobody has else, else has even been able to get around this guy, and Ken Roxon shows up and does it. Um, and, and I think, you know, even listening to the the media before he went out there, I don't think anybody was questioning his speed. Uh, we know Ken's hot off the start. Um, he, he's able to put a quick pace in early. His sprinter laps to start off those races, indoors or out, um, are, are really second to none. And I think Jet got a taste of that firsthand. Um, but I was really impressed with, with the duration, where his strength was at the end of the race, um, especially not going out of his way to prepare for this style of racing in, in the sense of doing that long of motos and stuff like that. And, I mean, let's be honest here, folks. It's Ken Roxon. Like, like, I don't think he's, he was sitting there eating Jets and Donuts on the couch. You know, he's, he's put, uh, who is it, uh, Patty Pimblett uh, that uh, goes and puts on – Patty the Batty, yeah, he ain't putting on yeah, 19 Patty pounds of, uh, exactly. of flubber between motos. Exactly, yeah, no, he, uh, he's, he's somebody that I think stays in race shape and stays uh, moving and, and very agile, and, and maybe that was something he wanted to do. Hey, I want to get a gate drop in, uh, remind these boys here uh, in America that uh, I still mean business and I'm still capable of doing it. So, um, yeah, it gave, gave a little spark of life, gave a little bit of energy there to the 450 class, and, and yes, even though Jet did – continue on his his streak of dominance um I, I think if nothing else it made it a little more exciting for people to watch and jet had to earn it i think jet also showed uh maybe if he is put in those pressure situations if somebody does apply the the pace obviously chase Sexton's going to be coming back at some point and i think uh you could see the potential for that where um yeah chase may be able to put some of that pressure on and and possibly that forces jet into some mistakes that he's not able to jump off from quite as fast. So, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of different notes you can take away. I think the biggest one is is Jet is human. That's kind of what I've got written down in all caps right here. He certainly is. Um, uh, he he finally faltered as far as laps led. His uh, his streak ballooned to 97 laps in a row uh, before coming to an end when uh, when Ken Roxon took the reins for in both leading laps in both motos. Thought uh, Adam Cianciarillo was going to get a lap led in there, but he wasn't able to get that done. A um, little bit of signs from life, signs of life from from Adam this last weekend. He gets himself another podium overall, which was very encouraging to see. Uh, it honestly kind of like as as someone who enjoys watching Adam ride and uh, and just seeing what he's able to do on a motorcycle, it does kind of bum me out to see him sort of get hunted down successfully every single weekend. But I think you're totally right when it comes to Ken Roxon. It's all of those things coming together. I think there's some perspective on his side of things that you know what. Uh, I'm a two-time champion in this outdoor series. I going out there and racing him. I sort of been there, done that. But you know what? I'm also approaching 30 years old, and there will come a day when I don't get to line up for these races. And at that point, maybe I'll want to, and that that time will have passed. And kind of seizing the opportunity to go out there and do it. Then I also think there's a, a, a part of Kenny that feels like I don't know if there's a, the right word is obligation, but I feel like he does think that there's uh there's reason for him to go out there and, and race for his fans in North America because he is such a fan favorite. Um you could hear the the 
the track just go wild for him out, out front. People like to see Kenny be successful, um, which is it's 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 actually one of it's amazing to see. Like he's he's a foreign rider, but he's at this point has almost been a, adopted as like a as a full full blooded uh, American at this point. Even though uh, he is a German, um, racing around the track and all that fun stuff. He's got himself a whole shot now. He he honestly, I thought he was going to get a moto victory if he didn't uh, uh, waffle that thing up and have to be kicking and kicking and kicking and kicking at that thing all afternoon. But um, yeah, and then also, I think you're totally right on the side of him needing some gate drops. Uh, like he kind of twisted his knee up, and uh, yeah, I don't know if I'd want my first uh, my first race back to be a World Supercross. Going to get the, the the jitters out a little bit two weeks before the first round of that. So uh, there's lots to talk about when it comes to moto in 2023. Yeah, no, without a doubt, and, and I think uh, what we're seeing this year is is some first time gameplay in the sense of you know this is the first year where we're really seeing riders making that planned commitment to World Supercross beforehand. We knew uh, it was announced beforehand that Kenny was going to be a part of the series. And so, yeah, it's interesting. And quite honestly, I think it's cool. I think so many riders I'm, – I'm a fan of outdoors, if, if you guys can't already tell. If it comes down to, to Supercross or outdoors, um, I, I respect Supercross, and I think it's a, a badass sport. I enjoy watching it. Um, but when it comes to – and maybe it's just the old school, you know, diehard rider in me. But there's just something about the brutality of the outdoor nationals in America that are the, are the pinnacle of racing for me. And and for me, um, I, I love that the Supercross-only contracts and the ability to do these foreign Supercross races and World Supercross, um, they're prolonging the lifespan of a lot of these riders' careers. Um, you know, that, that's great that little old me here in North Carolina likes the outdoors, but it's, it's much more difficult and hard on the bodies of those riders than the Supercross races. And so, um, yeah, I, I think it's cool when we see the top riders competing in, in any series. You know, I, I think when we see the top riders from every country actually getting to participate in, in, in motocross nations, I get excited about that stuff. There's something to be said when it's like we all feel like we have genuinely sent our best people. There's no brand shutting it down or anything like that. And I think when, when you line up at outdoors, I think people were just as much excited about having another top dog in the sport out there as much as it being Ken Roxy, you know, and, and on top of that, you talk about how much the fans love Kenny. I think, I think Ken Roxon is probably the, I would say before jet moved up in the 450 class, Ken Roxon has been the face of the sport for the last little bit. Uh, I mean, as far as just marketability and personality between, uh, you know, remember when he did the suits and, and he did all of that stuff. Obviously, Eli, he kind of lets his writing do the talking for him. But I think Ken goes out and genuinely tries to introduce new people to this sport and give this sport a look of professionalism. Um, and, and I think if you're somebody like the Lawrence brothers, they're they're trying to do this as well. Both of them, um, that whole group there with with lucas myrtle and jacob hayes and the brothers um i think they've realized that hey you know we've got the opportunity to take our athlete and make him the face of a sport um and right now it looks like they're doing a good job and, and jet's making it easy on him for for riding as well as he is well i tell you what winning races always looks good no matter how you do it even when ricky carmichael had his bars rolled into his lap 
Um, we, we thought that was a good look. Well, not all of us thought that was a good look in 2002. Uh, and 03 for that matter. But uh, regardless, it's been, uh, yeah, it's been basically a one-man show at the front of the 450 class. Uh, Dylan Ferrandis, like, I keep just keep waiting for Dylan to, to like, sort of wake up, honestly, and... and, and and ride the way we expect him to know how to ride. Like this is a he's currently sitting, I believe, second in points. But basically, that's mainly because the the guys around him have had really off days. Um, what's your take on the the 2021 champ? Uh, obviously, last year he came back with back injury. He kind of was behind the eight ball this year. Um, but we've only really seen. I think we've maybe seen Dylan at like. Have we seen him at eighty percent yet so far? I don't really know. You know, I feel like Dylan is not um, super forthcoming online and on social media as far as right. updates, um, you know, which is fine. I, I mean, that's obviously a trend in this sport, but uh, it, it's he's so consistent, good or bad, though. Like you don't hear he's radio silence regardless, which is well, kind of why 2021 he's, he's was just, an anomaly. Yeah, he's just not out there a lot. And, and I mean, you know, obviously. He speaks English well, but there is that little bit of a language barrier still. And I think, uh, you know, I think he receives a lot of negativity. Um, and I think that, you know, actually speaks for a lot of it as well. Uh, but, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I just – I don't see the confidence in the body language. I feel like Ferrandis was a very expressive rider beforehand. And don't get me wrong, he looks like he's trying, but it just doesn't seem like he's able – when he when he went and did what he did and won that championship, it was like he could put his bike anywhere he wanted at any time. It, it didn't matter where he was. If he wanted to be on the other side of the track, he mm-hmm. was able to just immediately cut and, and, and do what he can. And I don't know whether that's physical fitness. I don't know whether that's comfort on the bike, if it's a mix of all of it. But, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, I want to say we've seen him at 80%. And maybe he's playing a long game. I think Dylan is older. Dylan is smarter. And it's already a light season in the sense of we've got a lot of title competitors that are out. Right. Um, he is second in points. And he doesn't care how we feel about the way he's sitting in second. He's sitting in second. And so Jet Lawrence right now, he's, he's looking pretty unstoppable. But like we said at the very first podcast before the year started the only person that the that i think can stop the number 18 is the number 18 and you know the the fat lady's not singing yet the championship's not over and if jet throws it away if jet gets hurt you know now all of a sudden we're talking about dylan ferrandis in the sense of look at that he put himself exactly where he needed to be he's not overriding he's not taking unnecessary risks and you know now he's paying paying the price, you know, you know, getting the the title because of it. I mean, you look at Chase. A lot of people said the same thing, but Chase was in that position. That is what the series is. We got you got a race to win, and if you get hurt, that's that's a part of it. So um, it's hard to say. I, I think I would love to see more fight out of Ferrandis, but I. I don't know. I mean, is, is demoralized a, a word that I think could start to be thrown around yet? Like, it's, Oh, it has it's, to be. It ha- it, it, these guys, be, right? they've got nothing. They've, right now, like, they've got nothing for the kid. Um, and it's he's seemingly riding around, kind of looking around a little bit. It always looks like he's got more in the tank. I'll put it to you this way. 
uh, Jet Lawrence has a bigger gap over Dylan Ferranis in second than Adam Cianciarolo has in points over the sixth place in points right now, which is Ty Masterpool. Ty Masterpool is sixth in points. He is fewer points behind Adam Cianciarolo, aka closer, having only and only he only ran three of the four nationals uh, on a 450. Um, then then Jet has. Uh, over top of then he's led, there's less points between Adam and and Ty than there is between Jet and the rest of the club the rest of the series closest being 49 points back um it's it's yeah it's pretty wild right now to to see where where we're at with the championship and no one really seems to have a lot of answers like i think like like Aaron Plessinger is having a harder time he's he's having a hard enough time trying to beat Adam Cianciarolo, Cooper Webb and Dylan Fernandez Never mind uh, Jet Lawrence. Like the second through fifth are having their hands full with each other. Like let alone dealing with the guy ahead of them. Well, and it's—I don't know if you want to say a, a lack of title contenders. You know, we talk about losing Tomas. We talk about Chase being out. But I mean, there is some great racing if you watch. I mean, between Plessinger, Webb, and Cincerello and Ferrandis, like the you know, and I mean Masterful. That's a that's another one that's got to be mentioned there. Um, yeah. but you know, how exciting is, is the race for second place? Let's be honest. I, I mean, we, people want to see a battle for the win and, and right now, not only are they not seeing a battle for the win, they're seeing victory gaps that they have not seen since Ricky Carmichael. I, I mean, it, it's just the, the talk of, Oh, we'll never see this again that they had been saying. And then now this smiling kid that hands donuts out is just laying it to everyone. I mean, it's it's you almost want to sit there and laugh. And, and quite honestly, I think if you're the number 18, you probably are. Because he just seems like he's happy, if that makes sense. And, and I think that's something that you almost very rarely see in motocross. You look at Ricky Carmichael and you look at when he was in his dominant phase, that man was was suffered I, I mean he was grinding and he made it very clear that he justified the amount of, of torture that he went through throughout the weeks by just dominating and just destroying the competition you look at ryan villapoto very outspoken about how much he disliked doing what it took to win but he, that was what it took if you're if you're jet lawrence let's see i ride around with my brother during the week I, you know, do the training, which I'm, I'm sure, you know, is very difficult and very hard. And then I come and I pretty much stomp the crap out of everybody. And he's got this smile on his face and he's friendly to the fans and he's friendly to everybody else. I mean, I don't think anybody can say that they don't like Jet for any other reason than because he's just beating them. You know, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's dangerous because Jet is not only dominating, but he's having fun while he's doing it. Yeah, no, he and he's making it look easy right now. Uh, he's it's it's been a, a weekly thing, and I don't think Redbud changes anything for us whatsoever. I think we will get Chase Sexton back in uh, in two weeks' time at uh, at Redbud, but whether or not he's going to be at full steam and able able to do anything about uh, a jet at that particular race, that is yet to be seen. But uh, we saw what Jet was able to do on a 450, his first time being there ever, uh, and first race on a 450 period. Uh, at more cross destinations, uh, I would expect to see uh, a lot of the, uh, the similar. But uh, you and I, I talked off air. I'm looking forward to seeing the the new layout for Redbud 
And uh, um, it almost like you and I both know we're not hitting that damn jump. We we experience something similar, and we're we're looking at uh, a, a step down at uh, Unadilla. Like, hey, would you jump that? And then go to find out that there's like maybe two guys in the pro class that are even thinking about it. Um, like, on if if you had if you had like a dream ride, someone hands you Jet Lawrence's four fifty for the afternoon. You sending that there? Okay, let's make something clear here, folks. The, the pro riders were on wood suspension, okay? True. That is a specific detail that needs to be mentioned here. Um, now, now, I still look, think I, I'm jumping I, that downhill. I was about I was about to say, look, I, I'm not going to say that I'm the best rider, and I'm not going to say that it takes the utmost skill to, to complete a jump. Now, I'm not going to throw a fatty for the fans. You know, I'm not doing any tricks. But as far as sending that thing from point A to point B, especially with the new layout, and for any of the fans that are sitting there wondering what we're talking about, you can go on Redbook's Instagram. Um, I think several different media companies have done articles about it. But you're coming into the corner before LaRocco's Leap at a much higher rate of speed. Um, yeah, I mean, shoot, you put me on a factory Honda with A-kit suspension, and you tell me, you know, hang this left-hand corner and just hold it on. Just do not let off the throttle. I feel like you got to, right? If you're given that opportunity, you got to oh, yeah. send it. Now, you, now I'm going to make sure everybody with a camera is there. We need, we need, you know, Spencer on hand, Brandon filming, uh, because what happens when I try to land? Very different highlight reel. I'm not promising I landed, but I promise I'm going to go off of it. Oh, for sure. I, I think I, I think I'd hit. I think I'm hitting it. I think if as long as like I'd have to see a few people hit it, and I'd have to sort of know the like. All right, do you just leave it on on the takeoff? Um, and uh, like, wh- like, wh- what's the protocol? Like, I, I'm not going to be like Kai DeWolf or uh, Justin uh, Cooper, who are like literally had their asshole hanging over the back fender. Uh, that might not be me because I don't know if I bring the front end down. If that's the case, but. Uh, on a 450, like even like when it it wasn't shaped the way it was, uh, it looked very pedestrian for for guys like um, Sexton and and uh, and any of the the top 450 guys who just jump that thing. So with the proper run up, and I honestly I, I think I'm I'm probably sending that thing, and it's one of those jumps that probably doesn't feel nearly as big as it is when you're actually jumping it because you're only in the air for two seconds tops, not even. Yeah, I, I was able, and I think another key thing is, is the track setup. I mean, the way they prep the track for a national is definitely a little different. I've seen some footage from one of the Loretta's regionals out there, and uh, the the crash scene that follows one of the guys jumping makes it look like it's the C class, but I believe it was the B class, and, and they're hitting it with relative ease. There were multiple guys that were jumping it. So, uh, yeah, that's one of those ones where you pretty much just hold it wide open and hope for the best, whereas it's, it's the jumps that require that specific amount of, you know, you're coming into it super fast, but you got to scrub off just enough speed. That's when I usually end up over jumping something or, or uh, just saying to hell with it and, and not jumping it. So, yeah, no, it didn't. Yeah, it would not surprise me. It doesn't surprise me when beat guys don't jump it. But I think this week, this year, with the layout the way it is, I could see. Like I honestly, I could think the only reason why you wouldn't jump it is if you don't have uh, like faith in the. You don't want to have to replace wheels or anything, or coming up short. You don't like if it's super deep. Like obviously, like on a regular practice day for you and I, like they wouldn't till it nearly as deep. So maybe that really would sort of be like the linchpin of whether or not you're going to hit it. 
But the way it's set up right now, I could see a lot, if not half the class in both classes jumping the damn thing, which is in years previous, we've seen the 250 class like basically exclusively like scrubbing the shit out of it. Um, and honestly, it's like, I, I would rather, I'd rather see more guys jump it than not jump it. Yeah, no, I, I think, uh, and, and that's what I think the fans and, and quite honestly, even the broadcasting team has been saying is it's like, this is such a renowned obstacle and so many fans, you know, if you talk about Red Bull, you talk about Rocco's Leap and it's like, it's almost disappointing when 37 of the of the 42 riders in the 250 class aren't able to hit it, and and half the 450 class aren't comfortable hitting it. So, um, yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Track prep is going to be the the secret as far as how it actually ends up going. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I really hope to see majority of the field jumping it, and I hope it's it's just a cool and unique feature where you're like, man, that's so cool that we've got you know, two guys side by side over LaRocco's leap or something like that. Whereas in the past, it's been almost too sketchy for you to actually do side by side and stuff like that. So uh, we'll see. I'm glad that it's, uh, I'm glad that they changed around Redbutt a little bit too. I think that's a welcome difference to the track. And uh, from what I can tell, I I think it looks like a a fun setup. Certainly does. Um, So before we move over to the 250 class, uh, the guys over at the Verb Moto broadcast the vanilla broadcast they were talking about the super mini mount rushmore and i'm going to put you on the spot right now i already have mine and maybe you'll take some time to think about yours while i explain who mine is um chase stallo put uh stroop on his and i i had an eyebrow raised on that mainly because i don't remember a lot of great video uh, of stroop on a super mini i'm sure i know he was a team green kid and all that at that time but um, I'm going to give you my super mini Mount Rushmore. It's four people, all time greatest, um, greatest super mini riders. And then you can give me yours, uh, before we move on to the two, uh, the 250 class song, right? Let's see it. All right. So leading things off, you have got to go with James Stewart. James Stewart on a super mini was, was iconic. That like that, that kid. Like, if there's ever been someone on a super mini that actually helps sell motorcycles, it was James Stewart. The guy was absolutely lights out. Uh, it was a, a perfect cross section of media where like the video technology was finally starting to catch up to be able to capture some of this stuff in in like whether it was uh, like in slow motion, uh, hot like higher frame rates, all this fun stuff. Uh, the, the there's more photos of him on a super mini than you have of, of Ricky Carmichael. Of course, Ricky has so many stories and almost sort of like he is like Ricky Carmichael on a super mini. Although he is on my list, is almost in like mythical proportions because there isn't enough really hard and fast evidence aside from him being on a super mini for some of the terra firma videos. Like there's not a ton out there for you to sort of work off of. Uh, so I put James right up on the on the top. Ricky Ricky Carmichael's on there as well with um, uh, Adam Cianciarillo. Adam Cianciarillo's time spent on a super mini is maybe as as historic as historic goes as far as being untouchable. No one could 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 uh, solve this kid, and for that reason, there's probably still some hard feelings between him and Cooper Webb. Uh, as they were basically attached to the hip at that time. Of course, Cooper racing a uh, much maligned um, 150 Honda. Uh, but I think you have to put uh, Adam C. and Cerullo on there. And then someone to sort of go off the page, but someone like, I feel like doesn't get nearly enough love 
for his time spent on super minis is Eli Tomac. Tomac on, a, on an RM1, RM85 Super Mini, whatever they had, the, the cylinder walls, paper thin, pushed out to. He was really special on uh, on a Super Mini. I would throw him on there. Uh, and if not, uh, if you're not if you're, you're going to replace him, the only person that I would accept to replace him with would be Davey Millsaps. Davey Millsaps on 85s was, uh, he was a bad, bad dude. Okay, so... Uh, we're in luck here because I, I saw the verb moto debate about it and actually chimed in on Twitter. But okay, good. You bring you're bringing some good points here. Okay, so let me the original four that I had. You've got you got to go with with Cincerella. I, I think you hit the nail on the head with that one, and, and that's my generation there too. And so for me, even being a North Carolina kid, we were obsessed with Cooper Webb. But when when Adam Cincerella he came to a track about 45 minutes away from my house, and there was a regional, and his rig alone was just just awe-inspiring. I mean, the kid was so fast, it, it just blew everyone's mind. Um, so Cinderella was on there. I had Nico Izzy on the RM85. Izzy was a bad mamma jamma when it comes to the Super Mini class. And if you go back and you watch some of the, the all-time great films, uh, the beginning is one that comes to mind, where Izzy was putting a hurt on those boys on that RM85, kind of at its peak. Uh, so I got Nico Izzy on there. I, I agree with you. Davey Millsaps, that was another one. The, the the foam roll on the bottom of the helmet, it just, yeah, something about... It the donut. It didn't matter whether... It, yeah, I mean, whether it was Mammoth... The custom-painted helmets, it, too. The rivalry yeah, with the Lessie. Yeah, he just had it. And, and then and that was going to be the other... That's the other guy that I had on my on my Rushmore was the Lessie. Um, you know, he's, he's oftentimes credited as being the Adam Cincerello to Cooper Webb for Ryan Villapoto, you know, it, whereas, you know, Alessi, much like Cincerello, spent most of his amateur career beating Cooper Webb and, and beating Ryan Villapoto, whereas it, it's been kind of the different tale when it turned pro. I feel like Alessi, obviously having the legendary Believe the Hype shirts, um, and, and Cincerello were probably close to some of the most anticipated amateur debuts in the professional ranks. Maybe, you know, only bigger has been Hayden Deegan. And so, but I'll admit, I, the, the James Ricky super mini era was a little before my time, but another one that I think might be underrated, the 199 machine, Travis Pastrana. TP on, on super mini. The thing is about TP, he didn't spend long on them. Because he went, yeah, because he got tall immediately, guy. and he was racing two. Yeah. He was riding one twenty fives at like twelve. Yeah, I guess he might be like the schoolboy Mount Rushmore, but yeah, uh, no, he's yeah, on my schoolboy Mount Mount Rushmore. You know who's a total dark horse that nobody thinks about for for super mini superiority is um, is Ryan Morris. Mo, uh, like Mo was really really good on on, uh, on Yamaha 85s. If you watch the original um, Mini Warriors, he's basically yeah. front and center for those things. And yeah, he was he was special. Yeah, I mean, if you want to, I mean, which I guess I'm biased just because I love the Mini Warriors film so much. Mm-hmm. But I mean, um, you know, the Millsaps edit was just, I mean, that's just next level. And then, um, I mean, Zach Osborne, he had a pretty good Super Mini career. <laughs> Um, the KTM 85 is the bike it is, or at least was, uh, yeah, up yeah. until like three or four years ago because of his work as a uh, a tester. 
Exactly. And, and I mean, um, Josh Hill is another one you could probably say that had a, a strong performance. I'm not going to say that he had the, the titles to back it up. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Nico Izzy was one that I think a lot of people kind of forgot about. Um, so yeah, I'll go, I'll go Alessi, Izzy, Censorello, and Millsaps as my Mount Rushmore. I'm amazed that Stu stays, still stays off that list, but I can respect it. All those guys are super badass dudes. The, the one thing that uh, Nico had over maybe anybody else is maybe the most badass looking super mini that's ever rolled off of. Yeah. Uh, that when he had he had the the mostly it was a like gold rims, gold number ones, and the piece de resistance, the gold uh, gnarly FMF pipe. On his, uh, his uh, it would have been the U.S. Open bike when he was defending his uh, his championship from the year prior. Uh, it had mm-hmm. like kind of like the dice on it and had like this like one of a kind sort of like uh, it had the almost chrome on the graphic kit. That for my money is maybe the only reason why I would ever build up. A, if, I, if there was ever a super mini that I wanted to build and have on display in part of a collection, that's the bike. That bike was absolutely lights out one of the most beautiful looking super minis I've ever seen. Yeah, no, his, uh, th- that was like when I started to look at like bikes and be like, what is the badass looking bikes of the times? Uh, and, and that is one thing that's so heartbreaking about Suzuki's is you can make them look so cool. And so it's, uh, no, he definitely had, had that on for sure. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, and there's so many riders that I, I think can be thrown around as far as skill. It was just the consistency and the ability to travel to those nationals that had coverage back then. Um, I mean, Josh Lichtel, that was, that he was another one got chosen. Lichtel, the US bad dude. Yeah. Lichtel was a bad dude. And so, um, yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of them. And it's so funny. I, I wonder, I'm sure one of these stats people could sit down one day and, and correlate, you know, super many specific success to professional success. I mean, I think Adam gained most of his notoriety for being on super minis. Um, De Francesco had, or, Francisco had a a pretty good. Don't forget about Jen Reynolds. Yeah, that's what Austin Forkner was kind of kind of his dark horse there, and then yeah, Forkner was was pretty dominant in his day too. So, um, I feel like you've got the eras. You know what I mean? I, and it's just like the the Alessi Villapoto era is one, and, and then you've got um, Izzy Osborne. I think Stroop could be thrown in there as well. Um, trying to think there was a matt rife uh rife was that his last name i, I can see his bike in one of the oh, uh, one of oh what's his name it wasn't bonnie, matt rife matt bonnie bonnie was good bonnie was really good he's like like the the early four strokes guy yeah, yeah like he was one like he's in there with like stroop and izzy who like they were really fast on carbureted four strokes, like they, like the pioneers of the four stroke era. I think that just needs to be a podcast in and of itself of like the guinea pigs that like paved the way for what we enjoy today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they were dealing with rapid like ex- extreme changes in testing and stuff like that, just because oh, it yeah. was so new back then. You imagine the difference between uh, a carbureted, basically the same bike as it was in 2006, Kawasaki 250F, and then the 09 model comes out and it's like completely EFI, uh, like it was, it, it might as well have been a Rolls Royce compared to what they came out with prior to that, and uh, yeah, 
um yeah it's 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 that that was kind of night and day uh there's some actually some really interesting articles that from magazines back then that we could talk about uh but apparently this podcast is actually about uh wrapping up the uh recapping the series so far um and since we're talking about efi 250f so i'm gonna be talking a little bit more about uh efi 250fs and the fact that uh, much like the 450 class, there's been a Lawrence at the front of the pack every single round so far. They are undefeated, although this last weekend, technically, uh, Lawrence still gets the win, even though he didn't have as many points as the guy who got second uh, due to a penalty. Uh, the win still goes to Hunter Lawrence, but all, all I really want to talk about is RJ Hampshire and the roller coaster ride it is being a fan of him. <laughs> yeah, it, it is the, the highest of highs and the lows of lows, and... and... It it's sad, you know. I, I start to feel bad when you when you have these riders that basically people expect for them to to crash or they expect for them to fade or something like that. And and it's it's even more heartbreaking when those riders prove the people right time and time again. And and what is the answer? I, I mean, it, it just seems like it is his kryptonite. He just cannot stay off the ground. The guy is made of rubber. He is, he's used, you know, nine lives twice. And there's no question that he's tough, but not only is it terrifying to watch, is it, you know, crazy inconsistent, but you know, he's not going to be able to survive this if he does it on a 450. I mean, as extreme as some of these crashes get, yeah, I, you just you're left scratching your head. Yeah, seriously, would would running going up to the 450 class, much like it did for a Martin Davalos, which ironically ended up basically be like uh, Marty moved up to the 450 class, was in the sport for another like 24 months and then was gone. Um, like I don't know if moving up to the 450 would be sort of like the the aha moment that sort of like uh, like sort of sorts out uh, RJ. I think he, his style is so based in just wringing the bike's neck. You'd essentially get like a slightly younger version of like a Justin Barsha who basically tries to race a 450 like a 250F. But um, that first moto was all guts and glory. Um, leads the first lap. Um, he goes out there, he's out front, he has a mistake, he basically like G's out and the bike kind of like, kind of comes out from underneath him. Um, like, and then honestly, like, and Hayden Deegan like st- stayed ahead of him or st- kept him in sight the entire time, was able to pounce on that. And hats off to RJ for like, it was not only the comeback performance to get back up on Hayden, but then once he got up to him, like he had to take multiple swings at Hayden to make that pass stick and a last lap uh, pass for the finish line. That might be like, it's early in the season, but that might've been the best moto of the year. Yeah. It's with RJ. The speed is there. He's such a good rider. He's, he, he has shown and maybe it's because he has so much experience, but he's a great passer. Um, but yeah, I, I just, it's the same story that I feel like people have been saying for RJ for the last couple of years. He is somebody that has championship speed. He has the the skill on the bike. He's got the fitness. It's just the mistake. And, and as, as finely tuned as these athletes are now, and as good as they are at putting together an entire season, you cannot afford to consistently be hitting the ground every single race. I don't care how fast you are. You know, even James Stewart, when he went from last to first at Bud's Creek, I don't think he's sitting there thinking that he can do that every single time. 
because they don't always happen off the start. It's the, the crashes at the 15-minute mark or at the 20-minute mark where you don't have the time to to go back through the pack. It's too little too late. So, yeah, I, I have no idea. A lot of people say the 450 calms you down. Um, a lot of people say the 450 teaches you respect because when it throws you on the ground, you realize, oh, wow, I am going faster than I was on a 250. Um, but I'm not sure. I, I, I mean – I know RJ has been pretty pretty vocal, I believe, about trying to go to the 450. I think that's his desire. Um, but, yeah, fingers crossed that it calms him down because if it keeps treating him like the 250 has, I am I am worried for RJ's health. I, I That makes two of us, my friend. I think that, uh, yeah, he needs to, uh, yeah, sort something out when it comes to uh, the way he approaches the racing because it's, uh, it's entertaining, to say the least, but... Um, yeah, I, I, I always think about whether it's him or, or even a Jordan Smith who like everyone always talks about, oh, it's only a matter of time before those guys hit the ground. And when they do, like you, the first thing that comes to their mind is like all the people who are like, of course they went down and that's got to add pressure. That can't not add pressure that like, you know, I think, yeah, I think people started to focus on it when, when you talk about Chase Beckett. Because people are like, oh, yep. they keep talking about the mistake. They keep talking about the crash. And then the shift focused into, well, because we're all talking about the crash. We're all talking about the mistake. Now it's all he's thinking about. And, and for somebody like a Jordan Smith, that was, was another good one. He'd run up front. He'd throw it down on the ground every time. Um, RJ's publicly addressed it. He said, I'm known for getting up front and throwing it down on the ground. And, and those guys, you see them, they're, they're oftentimes in tears because they're so frustrated. But I, I don't know what the answer is. People say, oh, they're trying too hard. Okay, how do you tell somebody to try less hard? Like, yeah. Like, it, it takes every ounce of your being to be able to run at this level. So give every ounce of your being with just a little bit less. Like, it, it just it makes no sense. And so um, RJ's working on it. RJ, at least on camera from what I've seen, always seems to be in good spirits. He seems to have a good group around him. But, um, yeah, behind closed doors, there's no way the frustration's not growing. And uh, quite honestly, I think on the outside, you've got to you got to stop being okay with it at some point. You know, I mean, at some point it's like, dude, I don't know how to tell you to figure it out, but you have got to figure it out because – this is it's not okay, man. You're, you're you're essentially throwing away titles because of silly mistakes. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I like RJ personally. I, I think he's a good guy. I enjoy listening to his interviews. And um, you look at somebody, he, he was a person that I got to go and watch at Loretta Lynn's, and he was one of the only people to go six for six. He dominated his moto. Yep. And I, I mean dominated. But I vividly remember watching him go after a tea kettle at Loretta Lynn in the lead and he just happened to have such a strong lead he was able to get back up and do it. Zach Bell's another one. If you remember <laughs> that name. I watched oh, him yes. do the same thing out front. He was leading and crashed. And so um yeah, it, it's when you're playing with the big boys and you're playing with the best in the world, you can't have the tip overs, the, the, the slip ups, the falls and uh right now that's his his kryptonite, so it certainly is. And you know what? The biggest difference, the difference between RJ and a guy like Zach Bell is that RJ has, he has the peaks 
and he also has the valleys. The 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 thing with Zach Bell is he's finally found consistency, speed, and a lot of success on the uh, the outdoor series and the work series over in uh, uh, in the in California. Uh, he didn't have the peaks. Like he, he didn't have yep. those sort of like lightning in a bottle moments that that have team managers being like, you know what, like like take the good with the bad but his good's pretty damn good and uh those types of rides will, will continue to uh get you rides like you, i think of a guy like uh josh grant was basically the exact same thing is that he like he wouldn't have as many crashes but like he'd have his off days but then when he's on he goes out and wins anaheim one yeah yeah and those i guess those performances are saving him at the moment but at some point with with the competitiveness of the 450 rides and with the the amount of pro rides and the amount of riders that are performing as well as they are, it, it starts to, that's got to be a talking point. You know, the, the, the riding has got to be a talking point. The crashes have got to be a talking point because by now everybody knows it. And, and so he's got to have these highs that are mind-blowingly high to be able to overshadow those lows. You know what I mean? It's unfortunately People don't oftentimes write a review with how good stuff is, but they're quick to go out of their way to tell you how bad things are. And so um, I, I think it, it's hard to state how well RJ has been riding. It's hard to say. I mean, the guy has looked phenomenal. He clearly expressed he, he feels good on the bike, but the, the tale has remained the, the same. You know, the, the, the story is, is still we see RJ on the ground too much. And so... I don't know. Uh, uh, the the question starts to become: Is he going to be able to figure it out? And, and I think only RJ will be able to tell us that. Well, uh, in the meantime, while he does try and figure those things out, he might not be second in points, but he's currently sitting third because although his uh, his season has been up and down, uh, same can be said for Joe Shimoda, of course. And then Justin Cooper gets hurt uh, rolling into this particular race. He uh, is throat collapsed he ended up going spending the night in the hospital uh we'll see him probably in a couple of weeks time when he's all healed up but like uh shimoda kitchen uh volan vial uh we saw some life from uh from uh hymas and i honestly i i, I give a, a bit of a pass to a lot of the other uh rookies because they are full-blown rookies hymas and de francisco although I, I expected a little bit more out of de francisco to be completely honest although he is coming off of injury um, Swole, Smith, all the way back into like into the, thir- to the 13th on back. Uh, we have a lot of guys in the 250 class that they might have like a, a, a good moto, not even a great moto here and there, uh, but otherwise go pretty like invisible. Like I, I, there's been more than a couple of motos, and we're very early in the season so far where I have like, where is Levi Kitchen? And I guess that's why he's so far, he's qualifying an average of 14th. Um, and his average finish is somewhere around seventh. Like, no, no offense to seventh, but like, there's not too many books that are being written about uh, seventh place. Well, and and at some point though, there's only one guy that can finish in, in first, and there's only one guy that can finish in second. I mean, that's true. It's, as far as it's I know. Off, well, in a lot of ways, it looks like the 450 class in Supercross. We sat there and said. You know, you've got legitimate winners that can win one weekend and find themselves outside the top five the next weekend, and that is that's a that's a, a mind game right there. That's a that's a yeah. hard thing to walk into. And mentally you, strong. You look at some. Well, that's what I mean. You look at somebody like Hunter Lawrence. Even Hunter is not having the best of years in the sense of up and down performances. He's got to get his start figured out. But 
his consistency relies in his ability or, or lies in his ability to make passes and consistently find himself inside the top five or as close to it as possible. And, and then as we've seen, he's, he's gotten these overalls. But, you know, I, when you want to talk about your, your point leaders, I don't think you can you can say that Hunter's dominance is, is comparable to Jet's. Jet, I think, has, has silenced everybody in, in his capabilities and his writing style in the sense of I am the better writer. Whereas I think Hunter has, has shown he doesn't get the greatest of starts and he's, he's able to make passes, but I think there is still that, that thought process. These kids, um, I say kids, you know, they're, they're the younger class there. They don't say die. They're not going to give up. And, and for somebody like a Hayden Deegan, it's you, you give them any little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, they're going for it. And so um, I think for a lot of these riders, they're probably scratching their heads too. Shoot at the practice track. I'm, I'm hauling ass. I look great. I feel great. And, and for some reason, what was good enough to get me a third last year or the year before, now I'm looking at six or seven. And so um, I think you're, you're seeing an evolution in the 250 class that is, is making some of these non, non-rookies, they're, they're getting caught a little bit. Like, oh, shoot, the, the game has stepped up a little bit, and I'm still running on last year's program, and now I'm, I'm finding myself shuffled back. So, yeah, I, I think... Uh, for whatever reason, you know, a lot of those guys that you named there, they've got to be sitting there saying, I need more. I, I got to figure something out because I know your team managers aren't happy. And so we'll see. And the question is, is are they going to be able to do it? I, I think it's, it's the same ultimately as who's going to be able to step up and, and secure the position as, as the guys. So um, it'll be it'll be interesting to watch. I think that one's going to be more of a of a battle in the sense of I think you could have the right guy put the pieces together and suddenly become a consistent threat, whereas I think in the 450 class it's more is Jet Lawrence going to self-destruct Jet Lawrence, whether it be a mistake or a crash or whatever. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to take it take it from Jet. He might give it back to somebody, um, but uh, yeah, that, that this summer it's uh, it's the summer of Jet. That's for damn sure. 250 wise, um, one of the numbers that sort of jumps off the page at me when you just look at stat wise, Hunter Lawrence average finish so far a 1.9. There isn't anyone else in the class that's even um, like third or better. So he's he's a couple of positions ahead of. On average, every single person on the line. Uh, of course, uh, Cooper, he's going to miss some time. He's already missed one national. You can't miss that kind of time uh, and and still vie for a championship. Yeah, you can come back and be a thorn in someone's side. Um, but and and we'll we'll see when he comes back. But um, it's the like the inconsistency of the rest of the class is actually making uh, Hunter's dominance uh, almost look. I didn't say more impressive, but he's he's able to sort of like every single weekend, even if it's like like RJ has an amazing moto, the next moto he's seventh or eighth. Uh, Joe Shimoda's uh, nipping at his heels, like he's even he's even led laps so far this year. Then like he's he's on the ground uh, twenty minutes into the moto um, and, and and picking it up again. You know what I mean? Like there's there isn't a consistent person that he's taking swings at him. My question to you is. Um, 
halfway through this season, if he's still in swinging distance, could we see some uh, some multiple race wins and possibly even even an overall from Hayden Deegan because he he has the speed, he has the consistency, and he clearly has the fitness. There's people who love this kid. There's people who hate this kid. And either way you feel about it, you just got to deal with it because this kid is as for real as for real gets. Yeah, I think. Uh, I, yeah, I, I really, I really do. I, I don't, I don't want to say that I'm on hit the Hayden Deegan, Hayden Deegan bandwagon or that I'm a Hayden Deegan hater, but uh, I look. I'm at in the media. I, I honestly, I, I just, I don't give a. Sh- I don't, I don't care either way. I just want to see good well, racing, well, and I want to see guys exactly. perform the way they should. And he is performing the I, way he should. Yeah, I see what's right in front of me, and what I see is a, a kid with a solid background that's had great guidance throughout his entire life. He's had you know, very fortunate opportunities to be put on good equipment. I know he's got a good circle around him. He's clearly in shape. Uh, yeah, how do you not sit there and, and say that you feel confident that, that he's going to have success? And so um, I, I am honestly surprised at the maturity that I have seen. I don't really know what was up with that little little thing that he had going on there with Hunter where they're like kind of cutting each other back off and forth. Like It does seem like he gets a little little hop skippy you know kind of a little too excited when he starts to get close to some riders um and you know eventually he's gonna get humbled and and that comes with the territory but uh i like it i like to see the fire i like to see him excited and, and i think between his his superstardom in the sense of his online personality and and his social media following i straight up do not think hayden Deegan gives a shit who nope. is in front of him where they are in the points what's going on, how it's going to make anybody feel. That dude is there to win, and if you're in his way, good luck to you. Absolutely. I, I think that's his entire approach, I, I think. And, like, I got some comments. I, I wrote an article uh, for Verb Moto uh, called Here's the Thing uh, about basically how uh, Hayden, um, he's indifferent, left or right. And, honestly, like, there's some people who kind of came back and were like, oh, I don't know if, about that. He blocked me on such and such. I'm like, just because he's the, he blocked you doesn't mean he's not indifferent. It just means he doesn't want negative noise in his head. Um, and if you said something out of line, and I've done the same thing. You say something out of line, you're done. That's it. I'm, I'm done with you. And like that, I'm not overly butthurt. I'm just like, that. you've lost the privilege of, of, of interacting with, with within my media sphere and all that. And that's not putting me on a pedestal. I just, I, that's just blocking out the negativity that's just noise out there. Uh, Hayden Deegan deals with an absolute truck ton of that. And I think the thing is, is that uh, he has... The uh, the mindset that uh, I'm here to do a job. I have the resp- I have the 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 opportunity and the resources to to make my dream come true. And if my dream is to be the top motocross racer in the 250 class in North America, I'm sure as hell going to get there because uh, I've got the backing, I've got the time, I've got the I've got the talent, and uh, and I can work on it. And he's only going to continue getting better. And whether that pisses people off, honestly, I, I bet he loves that. Like, I think he probably just like, hell yeah, it's no different than when, like, back in the day, there's guys on my hockey teams who used to fight, and the fans would absolutely hate them, and they would be sitting in the penalty box with people banging on the glass, and they got to smile from ear to ear, because they just, they like, whether it's, they love the, like, he, they genuinely, they love the attention, whether it's negative or positive, it is like, it's just sing to the choir, baby, because you're, uh, you're going to stand, and you're going to, 
you're going to cheer for this kid because at the end of the day, he's putting in the lap times, he's putting in the work, and um, yeah, he wouldn't be able to go that fast for that long if he wasn't uh, like dotting his I's, crossing his T's, and maybe that's what infuriates people the most is they're kind of hoping that like oh like this like media hype is it's going to be like you like it's going to be like Brian Bosworth where you like pop the bu- the balloon and everything just kind of comes out of it. Well, the balloon's not popping anytime soon. This kid's for real. Deal with it. Uh, whether you like the little smirk on his face or not, uh, he's going to win some races this year. Yeah, I, I don't think it would surprise me at all. And and I think as, as much as I might get some slack about it, I, I think anybody that is denying it is, is just, they're hating. I mean, they're hating on hating. You know what I mean? It's just how do you, how do you look at what he's laid out and what he's done so far and, and the way he has matured as a rider, which I already think there have been differences in the way he rides from when he first came onto the scene compared to now. I think he's getting guidance from the team and from his family. Uh, yeah, kids, kids a serious threat. Love it, man. Well, um, that's about an hour of diving through the Outdoor Nationals uh, and also waxing intellectually about guys who went way too goddamn fast on a Super Mini. I myself, maybe you're you're a tall drink of water. You're you're 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", depending on which uh, uh, measuring tape we use, especially if it's metric. But uh, I was never... My dad never put me on a Super Mini. I never got the the big wheel package. Uh, there is a picture out there that uh, borderlines um, uh, child abuse of my me going through a set of whoops with my knees high above the seat, um, with my feet firmly placed on the pegs, racing my KX eighty five. Did you yourself get to ride a Super Mini? Because I never got that chance. No, I had a, I had like this weird growth spurt. So I went. I had a I had RM eighty five and. It was like all of a sudden these jumps that I had been able to do the entire last year, which I was not a very fast 85 rider, um, but all of a sudden, like, I just didn't have the horsepower. And I just started growing and, and uh, was Rideville protocol. I had a little husky, a good fighting weight, if you will, before my growth spurt came along. So, uh, uh, yeah, it got to a point. We actually, that was when I did a little bit of woods racing. So um, little, little chubby old Zach decided to go and pitch it in the woods for a couple of months and then no it was made pretty clear um i think it was pretty obvious that i was going to shoot up and hike um my my dad's tall my mom's tall so we knew what direction it was going and my dad was was a big fan of the 125 and and looking back now i think it was the right decision i really found a lot of confidence um especially when it came to jumping when i moved on to a full-size motorcycle so um i moved up to a 125 at like 12 years old and then by the time i was 14 i was on a 450 so i, I had a pretty rapid go from 85 up to to a 450 so yeah i was i was wondering if you you had, had spent some time on a on a 125 two stroke because you you are about you're about nine years my junior uh so by the time you came around four strokes were basically the the next weapon of choice after stepping off big bikes but uh like were, were you straight on to what, what 125 did you ride right off top i had so we went from a, a rm85 to a yz125 and we mm-hmm. rode that for about two years um and, and you know, a lot of things for me as a rider kind of changed moving on to that big bike. I got bigger, I got stronger. Um, and then we got, uh, we had a, a friend of ours give us his 250F for a couple of weeks to ride. Um, and almost immediately, game changer. Just the difference in, yeah, the difference in lap times and, and my riding style. You know, you look at, you look at 
James Stewart, perfect example. That dude looks like he is abusing a 125 when he rides it. Uh, I mean, <laughs> that's the way you got to ride this. You've got to be just putting them through pain. And that's just not my style. I, I was a very methodic. I, I, I don't really do a whole lot on the bike in the sense of uh, just manhandling that thing around. And so the four-stroke style for me suited me a lot better. Um, and, and then did uh, did about a year on a 250F and then just decided to go ahead and go to a 450. Fair enough. Well, I, I was kind of the opposite. I, I, I got, I was, they didn't make, I guess the first year in 04, they did make a 250F for Cowie. I, my local dealership was a Cowie dealership, so I got a, uh, a box full of ditch pickles myself. Um, and the, but the early reviews on the, the, the four stroke would, were, were not good. And then that bike now has gone down historically to be pretty bad, even though, uh, it won a lot of championships, uh, thanks to, uh, the nimble fingers of one Mitch Payton. Um, but, uh, yeah, I didn't get onto four strokes until 2006 and that was just the easy button of like, for, for me, like trying to race against four strokes on the two fifty one twenty five. 125, like six gear transmission, dancing on the shifter, getting bad starts nonstop to as soon as I got on the four stroke, like yourself, smoothed me out. I remember there was an older guy uh, locally at the track was basically like he saw me racing the the four stroke and just like had like popping and farting that thing and just like like revving the revving it to the moon. He's like, put it in third gear and just do a whole lap third gear even in the corners and i'm like in the corners third gear like on a 125 like it's not crazy to go all the way down to first gear and yeah sure as shit i went out there i probably turned the fastest lap time i did all year uh just forcing myself to stay in third and uh i was like yeah this this actually just got a whole lot easier but uh, and that's why we're on four strokes to be completely honest that's that they are a competitive advantage even though i love my two strokes yeah, you can't beat a two banger. I actually, uh, I had a friend who had a KX five hundred. He let me ride, and that thing was a was a fire breathing beast. But uh, for now, uh, I'll stick to the to the four fatty. And uh, I think my my super competitive training racing days are probably more behind me than in front of me. So um, I enjoy the the smooth ride and always having enough power for whatever I decide to get into. It's all about looking pro and going slow, bro. Uh, although yes, I am sir. planning on uh, putting um, uh, Loretta Lynn's on my uh, hopeful calendar for 2024. I know I'll be there with Verb, but I would love to be there with Truck and Trailer to uh, to race the uh, the 30 BC class. Uh, would probably be where I'd fit in best. But uh, you and I will see each other more than likely uh, at the uh, at Lincoln Trail in two weeks' time, three weeks' time. Uh, three weeks time, we will be there, um, looking forward to it for a Verb Shred Tour event. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we'll, we're, we're going to be able to do one of these in person and, uh, yeah, looking forward to it, Matt. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I can't wait, man. The Summer Slam going to be coming down the Lincoln Trail there. So Summer I'm, Slam! Uh, and, and, uh, I heard rumors that, that there might be a wrestling ring. Is that true? Are we, are we throwing down? Oh, heck yeah. I will... I will body slam you all day long. I, I like yeah, that'll be a that'll be a thing. I ain't scared. I am not scared. So well, you you've heard it here first, folks. So, but no, man, I'm looking forward to it. Those verb shred tour events are always a, a ton of fun. So, um, and then of course, yeah, an in person pod. What what kind of debauchery could we get into with that? So, 
one can only imagine. Uh, I've had you uh, tee it up, but I'm going to take the swing this time. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Zach Heron with his original song, Out at the Ranch, to turn off this podcast and send you guys out into the world with another episode here on Big MX Radio Podcast. This is Zach Heron with Out at the Ranch. From kids up to grown men Walk through the gates of the coal miner's daughter To make a point clearer than the creek water Who's the best, who's it gonna be In Hurricane Mills, Tennessee Can you feel the adrenaline Dirt flies hypnotized by the whisper Hear the crowd, everybody's whistling Line on the field If you can put it all together three times This one week of And rowdy fans play the national anthem, and everybody stands. Smell the smoke from the two strokes riding by. The 30 second cards on its side. Times. This one week of racing could change your life. Every-